for anybody that's new or, or uh, to, to, to this meeting, <clears throat> basically what we're doing is uh, we're representing um, a workshop that we did at the Wilson House last March called From Service to Surrender. Basically, uh, the premise of the workshop was uh, uh, to kind of, uh, kind of go through the process uh, um, of what happens when we, when we start working with someone. You know, we, uh, I think we've, we've all been to workshops, especially people in this meeting have been to workshops where they teach you how to go through the steps. We wanted to, uh, we wanted to take it to the next, uh, the next level and put on a seminar about how to take other people through the steps, about how to uh, pass on the experience after you've, uh, after you've had it yourself. And so uh, we started with some history. Uh, uh, we moved from, from, from some history into the 12 steps. And, uh, and then we concentrated uh, very heavily on uh, the, the, 12, the 12th step. We had four sessions on the 12th step. One was uh, first-year sponsorship men. Uh, uh, one was first-year sponsorship women, uh, done by two people that really knew what they were talking about. There was one uh, on wet drunk work. You know how to work with somebody who's uh, who's still, uh, you know, still uh, caught up in uh, in the insanity of uh, active alcoholism. And uh, the other is third legacy service. Now, uh, when uh, when we first envisioned this, the first person that came to mind uh, to present third legacy service was my friend here, Rob. Rob uh, has been active in uh, in general service for a very very long time, and has been uh, has probably been your DCM, and you didn't even know it. Uh, um, He's done about everything that you can do in the service structure. Uh, uh, he's uh, uh, he's very very proficient at uh, at explaining it, and uh, we're very very uh, privileged to have him here tonight uh, to give a talk on uh, some of the things that uh, you know so some of some of the things that you can experience uh, in the third legacy service in the service structure, and some of the things that. Uh, has, has benefited him and, and others uh, from this process. I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to my friend Rob. Thanks, Chris. My name's Rob, and I'm a grateful, happy alcoholic. Hey, Rob. I'm also, just for the, for the sake of the record, I'm a member of the Somerset Hills Group that meets uh, Friday nights at 8 o'clock in Basking Ridge, New Jersey. Um, my sobriety date is April 26th of 1988. And I currently have the pleasure of uh, serving the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous as the chairman of the Cooperation with the Professional Community Committee in uh, northern New Jersey, Area 44. Uh, I had, I, when I first got involved in service, it was simply because it was something that I thought I hadn't done and might like to experience. Uh, my sponsor was not involved in service. None of my friends were then, or for the most part, are now involved in service. It was something that it was uh, kind of a, a, um, a call that, that, that I sort of heard. Uh, somewhere I was at a meeting and I saw a poster on a wall, and uh, it was just one of these memorable little passages, and it says, when God calls, don't look over your shoulder to see who's following. And I always interpreted that to mean that when, I, when, when my course appears clear to me that I should simply follow it and not worry about who else is coming along with me. So when I was about 
I had done my, my step work, and um, I had been a, you know, I had made hundreds of gallons of coffee. I had uh, gone, I had been group secretary. I had been treasurer at a couple different groups. I had chaired a lot of meetings. Um, I was book, booker, still am a booker. Um, I've been a booker for 15 years. Um, but I had done all that stuff that was available to me at the group level and enjoyed it and continue to, to enjoy it. But I, I realized that I had heard a lot about this stuff that was happening out beyond the, the reaches of the group, which I knew nothing about. And um, so at about four years sober, I volunteered to be the GSR of, of my home group at the time. And I attended my first district meeting. Now, if this, none of this makes sense to you, hopefully by the end of the evening it will. And that started me off on my exposure to the opportunities for service beyond the group level. Um, and I've pretty much stayed involved right along. I, I, there have been times when I thought, gee, if I had about enough of this, I'm going to take a break. And um, like Al Pacino, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. You know, I get a phone call from somebody and I don't say no. Um, I want to take a minute. When I was getting involved early on in service, there were, there were a lot of things were different. Fifteen years ago, the fellowship, at least in this immediate area, was different. Uh, we weren't talking about working the steps from the book. We were barely working them off the wall. Um, and, and not many people were talking about service. So when I started to move in this direction, people were calling me Senator, hey, Senator. Um, you know, and when, when I tried to uh, encourage other people to get involved, because as I became involved in, in service, I saw that there were a lot of unfulfilled um, positions, and I was trying to encourage other people to get involved, and they were saying, ah, I can't, I don't like that political stuff, I can't get involved in that, I'm not interested. Which I thought was a shame, um, because when I pursued what their level of understanding was about these things they weren't interested in, I found out they didn't know anything about it. And, I, and it was, it was um, contempt before prior to investigation. I don't want to get off on a negative note here, but let me just read a couple of, of thoughts to you. There's a tradition checklist that's available on the GSO website. And uh, the questions in this checklist are all kind of built around um, sort of trying to personalize the traditions, which, if, if you read them, seem to apply more to the group than to the individual. But these questions were originally published in the Grapevine in conjunction with a series on the 12 traditions that began in November 1969 and ran through September 1971. While, again, they were originally intended to primarily for individual use, many groups have since found them uh, as a basis for wider discussion. And they posed questions like this, and I'm not going to go through all of these. And the questions are intended to provoke uh, some thought. And again, I won't even tell you in conjunction with what tradition uh, these questions are asked, but they're, they're interesting questions and they sort of set the tone for should I be getting involved in service and why aren't I getting involved in service? Do I put down some AA, AA activities as if, I, as if I were superior for not participating in this or that aspect of AA? Am I informed about AA as a whole? Do I support in every way I can AA as a whole or just the parts I understand and approve of? Uh, do I criticize or do I trust and support my group officers, AA committees, and office workers? Although I have been sober for a few years, am I still willing to serve my turn at AA chores? 
In group discussions, though I sound off about matters on which I have no experience and little knowledge? Do I insist that there are only a few right ways of doing things in AA? Does my group always consider the welfare of the rest of AA, of nearby groups, of loners in Alaska, of internationalists miles from port, of a group in Rome or El Salvador? Do I always bear in mind that to those, well, let me get back to that one. Uh, do I resist formal aspects of AA because I fear them as authoritative? Do I ever give the impression that there is only, that that there is really an AA opinion on antibuse, tranquilizers, doctors, psychiatrists, churches, hospitals, jails, alcohol, the federal government, legalizing marijuana, vitamins, and alanon, and alatine. Can I honestly share my personal experience concerning any of these without giving the impression that I'm stating AA opinion? And going back to what I almost read a moment ago, do I always bear in mind that to those outside who, who know I am in AA, I may, to some extent, represent the entire beloved fellowship. The questions really are, are kind of, that's what I sensed way, way back when, that there were a lot of people who, were, who weren't interested, who, who criticized it, who didn't know what it was about, but didn't think it was part of their recovery, and I said, you know, I'm going to go try it. Um, and I have since found a lot of good reasons for wanting to try it. Somebody, could somebody read this? first page of this for me, so I'm not doing all the talking here tonight. Would you mind just reading this? This is taken from the service manual, and it pretty much explains what the third legacy is about and why it's important to us. Marty, I'm Hi, Marty. Good morning. Today's legacy service, our 12th step, carrying the message, is the basic service that the AA public gives. This is our principal aim and the main reason for our existence. Therefore, AA is more than that. That is principal. Thanks very much. Um, my point is, and hopefully this will be the last time I try to make it tonight, is that the service work that I got involved in, not necessarily face-to-face 12-step -face work, which I still participate in, but the service committee work that I got involved in was, was absolutely necessary to the health and welfare of the fellowship. And, I, and I, I'm certain uh, that down the road it, it benefits some alcoholic that I'm never going to meet. Um, just to put things in context, and again, I, I'm sure most of you know this, and I, I'm not going to belabor this because I trust that you do, but the first map in here sort of puts, puts us in, in context where we are. North of, um, Area 44 is part of, of, a, of, of the North American AA region. Um, this region is managed by the General Service Office in New York. It includes all of the United States and Canada, and there are eight regions. We are in the Northeast region. And I just kind of broke out a little map there to show you what, what that Northeast region is about. 
It's 18 service areas in 11 states. Again, I'm just going to kind of flip through this quickly. I just kind of want you to understand who we are and where, where we live, sort of. Those regions are then broken down into areas. We're one of those 91 areas. There are 91 areas in, in, the, in the GSO region. We are area 44. On the next map, it shows you what area 44 is. It's all the northern counties, all the northern counties in New Jersey, down as far as Ocean and Monmouth counties. So we have 91 areas in North America. Within, we are one of those 91 areas. We are northern New Jersey area 44. And within area 44, there are 41 districts. We are one of those districts, and the last map is our district, District 18. So if anybody ever asks you what area are you in, you say Area 44, Northern New Jersey. And what's your district? District 18, if you live in one of the communities on this map. By the way, if, if you attend a group or if your home group doesn't have a GSR and your home group exists in District 18, the district meeting is indicated on this last map. It meets the second Monday of every month in Berkeley Heights, and uh, your group should be uh, represented there. Is that all pretty clear? I just kind of wanted to give you a sense of where we were in the world. Any questions at this point? All right, as you know, I, I'm not going to give you a history lesson. I'm not an expert on anything. I'm just a guy who has some years of experience doing service work, and that's really what I'm, what I'm here to try to point you towards, is there are opportunities for you to get involved if you care to, and I'm going to try to give you a brief overview of what some of those are. At the area convention this past weekend, we gave a workshop on, on just the CPC committee, which took 45 minutes. So. By necessity, I'm obviously not going to cover all this material. More of this is just background material for you to read through it at your leisure. But the General Service Office in New York is set up in such a way that they have certain desks to assert, address certain needs of the fellowship, one being archives, literature, public information, cooperation with the professional community, correctional facilities, treatment facilities. You've probably heard all of these mentioned down through the years. What we've attempted to do at the area level, and what they do at, at all area levels, is, is try to mirror what the General Service Office has set up in New York in, in this more finite geographic region. Um, again, I, I don't want to belabor and turn this into a GSO lesson. I want to get down to the nitty gritty and what actually we can get involved in here in Area 44. So let's move ahead to General Service Area 44, and let me tell you a little bit about some of the standing committees, how they're set up and what they do. Each standing committee has a, has a chairperson. I am currently the chairperson of the Cooperation with the Professional Community Committee. Part of my job is to see to it that each of our 41 districts has someone who, who comes forward and joins our committee to see to it that our CPC work is done in their district. Um, that holds true for all of these committees. Technically, all these committees should have a chairperson and 41 district representatives. I can assure you there is a lot of unfilled positions open, uh, including CPC and District 18. If anybody would like to get involved in that, I'd love to, to have some help. <clears throat> Let me tell you a little bit about what, what some of these committees do. 
and again, you can read this. I'm, I'm going to give you just kind of a top line. Public information responds to requests from the general public and also reaches out to the general public trying to explain, for example, they'll get a, a call from a school. A school wants someone to come in and speak to a student body about Alcoholics Anonymous because they, they think that that would be helpful to the student body. Someone from the PI committee that, who, has, who has been, I don't want to say trained, but they do go through uh, a, an informal training to go in and speak to this group, to tell them about Alcoholics Anonymous. Not to tell their personal stories, but to tell them what AA is, what it isn't, what we do, what we don't do, to explain anonymity, self-support, uh, to explain the different types of meetings and all that stuff. You would be amazed at the lack of understanding of, of AA uh, in, in the world, especially even with, with student counselors. They, they just are clueless about who we are and how we work. The Public Information Committee also works with uh, IDRC departments where they go in where they, people have gotten DWIs and now they have to go to special classes. Part of that special class is for people from AA to come in and say, we're not here to tell you that you're alcoholic, but if you think you have a drinking problem and you would like to pursue recovery through the channels of Alcoholics Anonymous, let us tell you what we are and how you can find us and what to expect. Um, there are uh, public service announcements that are, are placed on the radio. Different areas do different things. Um, depending on the makeup of, of any committee at a given time, depending on the skills, the initiatives, the interest of the members, different things get done. At one point in Area 44, our PI committees had bus cards printed up and started putting them in, in uh, New Jersey transit buses. And they basically said, got a drinking problem? Want to stop? We can help and then it had the AA 800 number at the General Service Office. Um, the PI committee goes around to libraries. The most frequently stolen book from any library is the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. No one wants to check it out. They'd rather put it under their coat and walk out with it. Um, but the PI committee does things like place the big book in, in libraries. Um, the CPC committee is very similar to PI in terms of what they're trying to do. They're trying to educate a certain audience about what AA is. That audience happens to be professionals. We talk to doctors, lawyers, judges, probation officers, nurses, um, clergy, uh, counselors of all different types. Um, you, again, would be amazed. Uh, people, they have no idea absolutely no idea what, what AA is. You say, well, well, go to AA. If you've got a drinking problem, go to AA. If you said, well, what, what is AA? What will they do? Where will they do it? How, how do we do it? When do we do it? They don't know. They, they, they don't know. I shouldn't say. Most of them don't know anything, and, and the rest know very, very little. It's shocking. And these are people who claim to be alcoholism counselors. Uh, we run into them all the time. Uh, the CPC committee attends on a fairly regular basis, maybe six, seven times a year, we go down to Atlantic City in cooperation with our, our area in South Jersey, Area 45, and we attend conventions of principals and, and superintendents, um, Catholic educators, uh, drug court professionals. Um, there's a whole wide variety of different conferences held by professional organizations and we're invited to come in and set up an information table and simply be available to answer questions about Alcoholics Anonymous. 
again, it's through those venues where, where we just we're, we're asked questions and we say, and you're a what? And you and you don't you don't you never heard this before? It also creates a lot of opportunities at a smaller local level that you know you find that um, uh, in Mars and Sussex County there is a drug court program, and through our participation at a conference down in Somerset uh, a month or two ago, we got an invitation to come up to Morris County and meet with the drug court judge and um, the drug court administrator and the prosecutor were, were curious about AA meetings and how they worked and said, could we actually go to an AA meeting? And we said, absolutely, yes you can. We have a program for escorting professionals to, to meetings. We've actually written guidelines to give to our committee members to help them, I mean, because taking, even if you're taking them to an open meeting, if they come in with a tape recorder and, and, and they're writing and taking notes through the whole meeting, they're going to unnerve some members of Alcoholics Anonymous. So we have some guidelines that we give people escorting professionals to meetings that says, meet them before the meeting, explain the meeting protocol, explain that they do not share, they simply introduce themselves, hi, my name's John, and I'm visiting. Don't take notes, don't ask questions, don't put money in the basket, we're self-supporting. We don't want your money. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's a program that's been working out very well. But again, that participation in that conference led to this contact at a more local level, and now we're, we're pursuing that. And um, we have more opportunities than we have people to, to, to fulfill them. So again, th these are all opportunities to help carry the message because that professional who understands Alcoholics Anonymous better is, I think, better equipped to take the prospective AA member and say, look, I think you should go to AA, and this is what AA can do for you, and this is what you'll find when you get there. And I have a phone number, and I know about a website. I don't know if you know, but our area has a website, uh, NN Northern New NNJ, Northern New Jersey AA.org. You can go on that thing, hit Meeting Finder, put in a town, hit search, it'll give you every single meeting in that town, Sunday through Saturday, the time, the place, you can even add in a photograph of your, of your meeting location, directions to your meeting, again this has to be supplied by the group, but it's, it's a really, really wonderful website and we spend a lot of time trying to push these professionals to that website because they, what they always used to ask for is meeting books, you got any meeting books? whether it was the Treatment Facilities Committee, the Correctional Facilities Committee, all these people wanted meeting books to give to their patients, prospects, inmates, whatever, on their release. They know that, well, once we're done with them, we've got to give them to you, and we don't know how to get you. Well, go on to the website, and you can get a complete list of all the meetings in, in any zip code you want or any town you want. It's really a, it's a, a wonderful job done by our website committee. Again, more volunteers, more service opportunity. Uh, the Treatment Facilities Committee. I, I participated and chaired this committee a number of years ago during the period of time when, when um, everybody remembers the, the 28 day programs. I mean, we knew people who said, yeah, I've been to 14 28 day programs um, until the insurance companies wised up and said, you know what? You get one shot at this. You get it or you don't get it, but we're, we're not going to just keep sending you back to you know, for treatment. But they built up treatment facilities. They started putting one on every corner um, back in the, I want to say, 70s, 80s. And then that changed, and they started folding up. And they were getting few and far between. Um, and they are fewer uh, even now. But at that point, they were going through that transition, and 
our job as a committee was to reach out to these treatment facilities. And the big issue then was they had substance abuse programs in the treatment facilities, and they were taking everybody and saying, go to AA. And we were saying, well, that's fine, but as long as they have a drinking problem and a desire to stop. If they're not alcoholics, you understand that they can't become members of AA uh, and that they shouldn't be attending closed meetings. And we don't say that. Bill Wilson said that. Um, and and that's, that's kind of in our literature, our conference-approved literature. And they were saying, well, but a drug is a drug is a drug. I mean, it's all the same. It's all about the feelings. And we said, you know, that, that may be true in the, in the context of your treatment program here in this facility, but it's not true based on, on AA's position on that. Now, we as individuals may have different opinions, and I'm not here to arouse any, you know, unhappy feelings, but um, read your AA literature, and, and it's pretty clear um, as to what it says and what our position uh, as a fellowship is on that. Um, if you don't have, I don't want to, I've already said that. Anyway, that was a big issue with the treatment facilities, and we, we spent a lot of time trying to make that clear to them. They did not want to hear it, and um, but we, we can't enforce it, we just, we just inform. Uh, we started a lot of meetings in treatment facilities. Um, facilities, staff cutbacks, we can't give as many programs, we, you know, we can't fill our, our day quite the way we used to be able to do, we don't have the van to take them out. To the meetings the way we used to take them out, could you bring some meetings into us? And we started setting up meetings and facilities. My responsibilities initially were just here in District 18. I talked to Bonnie Bray, the VA, Overlook Hospital had an outpatient program then and, and now. There was another treatment program in Summit. There was one down in, in Plainfield at Muhlenberg Hospital that I got involved with, and of course there was Fair Oaks at the time. And all these facilities wanted to know about AA, how did we, we had a a bridge the gap program which we had started where we started to build a list of it was like 12-step contacts but they were people who were willing to reach out to people being discharged from a treatment facility meet them when they arrived in their hometown and escort them to the nearest AA meeting and introduce them to AA members and help them get a big book and a meeting book and a sponsor and all that kind of good stuff and it was a very effective program uh, it remains a very effective program but it uh, required a lot of organization. And um, uh, it was just one, one more of the things that that, that committee did. Um, again, the focus primarily on getting into the facility, making the facility aware of, of AA and, and the opportunities that we had to, to cooperate with them, and then ultimately trying to help their patients who we saw as, uh, at the very least, prospective AA members. Um, Correctional Facilities Committee. Again, when I was, well, way back when, when I got involved in service, I was the booker for the Pleasant Valley Group that meets Thursday nights in, in uh, Pleasant Valley Park. There was a, a group that um, only had speakers come in once a month, but they wanted to speak outside a lot. So we were booking a lot of jails and uh, a lot of rehabs, but, but a lot of jails. And um, I really enjoyed those commitments, and I, I don't—I can't tell you why. I was never—I um, was never really arrested. I was never really spent a night in jail, but I really liked going into those facilities and talking to those guys. 
Actually, I went down to the uh, Edna Mahan facility, which was women, one night. That was a, an interesting... Hey, cutie! Hey, cutie, come on over here! What a night. I felt like a piece of meat! But um, speaking in, uh, in, in jails, or setting up and organizing meetings in jails and prisons, state prisons, county jails, um, is, is really, uh, it's, a, it's a tough, tough job. We have some really good people at the, at the area level who've been chairing this committee for a while who have done a great job of making headway with the state. What we're trying to do is, is organize all the jails and all the prisons to have one screening criteria that you can go through. And if I'm screened to go into this facility, I can, I can automatically go into that facility, that I get some sort of state-issued ID card which I can flash at any one of these facilities and go in as a, uh, an approved AA member to lead a meeting. It's been very hard, but we've actually got AA members who have tackled this and, and, and are still working towards trying to have this, um, have this done. Um, with the objective being, I mean, you know, the statistics, I, I, I'm not here, like I said, I'm not an expert, so I'm not going to quote statistics, but you know, a lot of the guys who are in jail are in jail because they, they were drunk, uh, drunk mm, committing crimes, drunk buying, selling drugs. Um, it's just, it just was a big, big part of their, their problem. There's a big need for AA in prisons. Um, they also have a, a letter writing campaign where you can correspond with a guy in jail, which is a pretty neat thing to do. You don't have to give them your home address. You don't have to say, yeah, I live at 95 Highland Avenue. Come on by because I work all day, and as soon as you get out, you can take all my stuff. <laughs> you give them the group's P.O. box, or, or you, give them a, you can give them another P.O. box. But you can set up correspondence with a, with a, an, a guy who is an AA member. He may be behind the walls, but he's an AA member and correspond with this guy and give him, give him something to look forward to. A lot of these guys have nobody. Um, their, their families have abandoned them. Um, they're really alone in the world and uh, some of them very serious about recovery. There's the jail box. You've all probably heard or seen of uh, jail boxes. Jail boxes are really easy to create. All you've got to do is put a piece of paper on a box and say, this is a jail box. And they collect money. They collect soft cover literature, old copies of the grapevine, anything that, you, that they can gather up and take into these prisons and distribute to these guys. I mean, a 10-year-old copy of the grapevine is, is good reading. I mean, it's, uh, it's really worthwhile. The, treatment, uh, the uh, Correctional Facilities Committee was one of the few committees a few years ago that was almost self-supporting through their own um, for the contributions that they raised through the jail box. At one point, the, the, treat, uh, the Correction Facilities Committee, I think, raised almost $30,000 through jail box contributions. Accordingly, they needed to take no money from the area treasury, which is your donations, to support their activities. They were, they were taking massive amounts of, of uh, soft cover literature into prisons, and it, they were doing a great job. Mike P. was the chairman at the time. He, he was just doing a great job. And the guys following in his footsteps have, have done an equally good job. The Literature Committee. I always see these guys at area events. They'll be at area assemblies. You'll see them if you go to Booker's. Uh, you'll see them at days of sharing in different districts if, if you go to those. And they're basically, they literally carry the message. I, like I said, I, say, I call them the hardest working people in AA. 
They carry boxes and boxes and boxes of soft and hardcover literature to all these events. They get up at the crack of dawn, they load up vans and cars and trucks, and they drive in caravans, and they get there before any of the rest of us arrive, and they set up tables, and they set up all this literature, and it's just there, and they sell it, you know, for, for whatever your individual or your group needs are. Um, they always need people. Now, is that glamorous? Is that something that, that I want to do? Not particularly, but people every year volunteer to, to chair this committee and work on this committee, and I always go out of my way at the conventions and whatnot to walk in and shake their hand and thank them for the work they do, because it's just miserable, heavy. It's like being a mover. You know, it's, it's just like you, you've decided, I'm going to be a mover for AA, and just pick up boxes and carry them here, and then pack them back up and put them in the car and drive them someplace else. But they're a great committee, and they make this literature available to us. Um, they're a wonderful group of people. Grapevine committee people do the same thing. Um, primarily, their their job is to is to make grapevine materials. The there are calendars, uh, there are the the slogans, there are tapes and CDs, and um, just all kinds of wonderful grapevine materials. There's a separate catalog. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's a, a grapevine catalog, like the literature catalog, just filled with nifty AA stuff. And it's not junk junk. It's not coffee mugs and stuff. It's, it's, uh, it's good conference-approved stuff. Um, and the Archives Committee. Again, what, what the people are doing at our area level is very similar to what they're doing in, in the General Service Office in New York. They're, they're trying to document our history. Um, case, I mean, Bill, where did the big book get written? Where was the big book written? Yeah. Big book written was written in, in, in New Jersey. Uh, a lot of the earliest meetings were here in New Jersey. Um, the oldest meeting, other than Akron, was here in New Jersey, wasn't it? Montclair? There are a lot of old-timers in Area 44 who, who sat in meetings with Bill Wilson. A lot of these people they've tried to get to and interview and have them at least uh, give some oral history uh, on, on tape of what they remember about the groups and who started this group and this group moved from there and to here. And That may not interest some of you, but there are people like Bill, I think, who have a passion for, for knowing something about the, the, the history of AA in the country and, and more specifically in, in New Jersey. Um, if you've been to any of the conventions, you've seen the, the beautiful displays. They put these things up on easels of like the Saturday Evening Post articles and just um, invitations to AA dances from 1940 in, in West Orange and just great stuff. Um, they work very closely with the intergroup office. Again, you have to have a pension for this type of work. I mean, obviously they're looking for people. If, you, if you're like me and you don't mind going out and sitting across from a professional and talking to him about AA, CPC works great for you. If you'd rather sit in the background and, and touch old things and preserve them and, you know, you like dealing with non-acid papers and, you know, preserving stuff and, and sitting and recording old timers and documenting things, Archives is, is, is right up your alley. Um, these are the standing committees. These are the, the committees that pretty much mirror what's going on in the General Service Office in New York. As a, as a CPC chair, I could call New York and say, I need to talk to Eva Sanchez. She's the CPC person at, in New York. I've got a question about something going on in my area. Um, 
all these people have counterparts in New York that they can talk to to get shared experience. There are, however, special committees. Um, if any, how many people went to the convention last weekend? Any? Some. Good. Well, the, <laughs> the rest of you missed a really great convention. Try going next year. You might, you might really enjoy it. Um, but we have a whole committee of people who volunteer to organize and put on this event. Uh, they, that committee breaks down into subcommittees. They have hospitality. They have uh, the, the speaker, the alcathon, the, the big book marathon. They have all the topic workshops. There's just a lot of details that, uh, that have to be organized and, and people to organize them. They try to make opportunities available to each of the 41 districts. They say, you know, we, we're, we've got an alcathon going on for this many hours. We need one representative from each district to cover each of these hours. They throw that out to the GSRs and say, go back to your districts and, and find some people who want to come and share these, these alcathon uh, meetings. Um, logistically, there's a lot of work. They're, they'll do a little wrap-up meeting probably in a week. Uh, from this, this year's past convention and immediately start planning next year's convention. They've got to negotiate contracts with the hotels and how much coffee are we going to get and how many rooms are we going to get and what, what are we paying. So if you're a meeting planner, if, if, you've, if you've done any kind of travel planning or, or anything like that, th then you have an aptitude and a skill that would translate very nicely to helping the convention committee and helping to facilitate this wonderful event each year for the rest of the fellowship. Films committee. There's just a little guy who sits, he's got a box full of films and he's got a projector and if your group would like to watch, I, we did this one year years ago uh, in uh, Myersville. We were a Friday night speaker meeting and we didn't have a speaker lined up for this one particular night and I said, you know, there's a film and I think it was called like Bill's Own Story or something like that. And uh, it was actually a, 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 a film of Bill telling his story. You know, he's sitting out, he's at Stepping Stones, and he's sitting outside, and he's sitting out there with Lois, and it starts getting a little chilly, and he tells Lois to go in and put a pot of coffee on, and the next thing he's reconvening, and he's sitting there at his kitchen table, and Bill is telling his story, and it's almost verbatim what you read in his story in, in the big book, but there's the guy, the, the actual guy on film telling you his story. We brought in a big television set, and we put it up on a stand in the front of the room, and instead of having a speaker that night, we had Bill Wilson come in and tell his story. And it was a neat thing to do. We got that film through the Films Committee. Um, there are a lot of other good films, and if you haven't seen them, um, just a, a thought. Or if you want to get involved in going around. I was, when I was in fourth grade, I was a projectionist. I was on the AV Committee. <laughs> and I got to go around to all the other classrooms and got me out of regular classes because I knew how to thread the film through the projector. And I got to go around and show movies for all the other kids when they had a movie scheduled. And I enjoyed that, and I think I might still enjoy that. Maybe one of these days I'll end up on the film committee again. The finance committee. Uh, these, again, if you're an accountant, you'd like to help out AA, get on that finance committee, man. We need somebody to keep that budget balanced. We need somebody to keep an eye on the money. We actually have some CDs. We have some money invested. Um, Essentially, that's what they do. They help plan the area budget. They get budgets submitted by all the standing committees, all the special committees. We all have to prepare budgets at the beginning of the year and say, look, I think I'm going to spend 1500 bucks. Okay, on what? And we have to document that. And they say, okay, and they approve that. And they come in and they submit 
a, uh, a prospective budget, which then has to be re or, um, reviewed and approved by an area assembly. But the Finance Committee is responsible for making sure that, that we don't run out of money. And a couple of years ago, we almost did. We had a prudent reserve, I think it was $10,000, and we had eroded that prudent reserve down to about $3,000. Every year, our expenses were exceeding our donations, and we just kept taking the money out of the prudent reserve until some people finally threw up their hands and said, look, we've got to get more money from the fellowship, or we have to cut back on the services we're providing. If the fellowship is telling us by virtue of not giving us money, that they don't feel that the work we're doing isn't vital, then we stop doing the work. I mean, you, you can speak with your pocketbook, you know. But uh, the money started coming back in. The prudent reserve, I think, has almost been completely restored. I know intergroup's budget is, is very solid, and, and we're basically we're taking care of our own. We're, we're doing the right thing. But the finance committee are the people who, who keep an eye on that. Like I said, if, if that interests you, that's a committee you could get involved with. Newsletter. There's one guy, Bill L. Actually, he may have a little bit of help, but Bill L. has been doing this newsletter single-handedly for as long as I've been coming around. Uh, he has a graphics design business, but uh, what he does is he solicits articles from all the standing committee chairs. We'd like to know what's going on in treatment, what's going on in corrections, what's going on in PI. He goes to all the area officers and, and asks them for contributions. And he goes, any one of you, anyone sitting here tonight can write an article and submit it to this day um, on any topic that, that you please relative to recovery or, or your experience in AA. Uh, but Bill is responsible for pulling all that information together, doing the layout, getting it to the printer, and basically turning out a beautiful, very informative and interesting newsletter every quarter. And like I said, this guy's been doing this for years and years. It used to be in a different format, and Bill, as, as, a, as a trusted servant and a custodian of the money he was being given, came back to us at one point and said, I have a proposal. I want to put this thing in tabloid format, which is basically changing the size, and I want to print it on newsprint paper, and what ultimately we can do is we can fold this thing down to this big, uh, but it'll open up the size of a newspaper, and it'll cost, you know, half of what it cost to do it the way we're printing it, the way we're, we're printing it now. And um, you got to love a guy who comes up with ideas like that, and it was readily approved. But uh, this newsletter needs help. People who can write, people who can edit, people who don't mind doing computer... Um, you know, it's, it's, laying, it's, it's working with Word, man. It's not, a, it's not a big deal. He gives you a measure and says, i got this much space to fill. Could you just proof this, spell check it for me, and, and lay it out for me and email it to me? He would love that kind of help and support. That is, is of any interest to you? <laughs> There's an opportunity. Remote communities I don't know too much about um, other than they're reaching out to, we have a Polish-speaking uh, community. Uh, there are a couple of Polish-speaking meetings. There is an entire Spanish-speaking district which is comprised of all the Spanish-speaking meetings. It's not a geographic district, it's, it's more of a cultural district. But um, we have people in nursing homes. We're finding that a lot of people, um, I'm thinking of a friend of mine's father. The wife died, the father was alone in the house, 70 some odd years old, wasn't eating right, wasn't taking care of himself, and was starting to drink. Always drank a little bit, but now he was drinking more and more and more and more and more. And they finally had to get him out of the house and get him institutionalized because he was drinking himself to death. He was an alcoholic. 
and in this in this nursing home, it would have been nice if somebody could have brought him a meeting. He, he and the people in that nursing home constituted a remote community. They can't come out to us. They can't come to meetings. They're not really treatment. They're not corrections. They're sort of like this remote little specialized community that maybe needed some of our attention. So we've got this committee put together. It's sort of a, a relatively new committee that's uh, trying to, to look around and say, are, are there some people, are handicapped people, people who are housebound, people who uh, you know, accessibility became a big issue. Are all our meetings truly accessible? You know, can you get in and out of a meeting? I'm a service sponsor for a guy out in District 21 out in uh, Lambertville. This kid, TJ, and uh, he's in a wheelchair and has always been in a wheelchair. And he claims that he's never gone to a meeting where accessibility has ever been a problem. But there's always been a couple of guys who would pick him up and carry him in and carry him out. And it's just not an issue. But... Uh, Anyway, that's rural communities. Maps and boundaries, I can't even tell you too much about that other than periodically a district like ours that, I mean, if you go back to our district map, we go from Summit to Pottersville and we're kind of this long, thin district. And it's very hard to get people from Summit and people from Pottersville together. Even when you put the, the district meeting kind of in middle ground in Berkeley Heights, they, they just, they're, they're just too widely uh, dispersed. And there has been some thought to maybe redistricting taking Berkeley Heights, New Providence, and Summit and making that one district and taking everything west of there from like Long Hill Township, Burnett's Township, Burnett'sville, everything west of there and making it another district. This Maps and Boundaries Committee would be the committee you'd have to go to so that they could study how many groups are actually in that district and where are the groups and how could we break this up so that there would be a, a, a you know, a nice balance of groups in the two districts and they would You'd have to get all kinds of approvals from them to do it. But that's what they do, and maintain these beautiful maps that I stuck in, in the early part of this. The website committee, again, just go on the website and look at it, www.nnjaa.org. Take a look at it. It's gorgeous. These guys did a really nice job. I'm sort of, I have an advertising agency, and I, and, and I see websites all the time, and I'm really proud of the website that these guys put together for us. In terms of its functionality, it's not bad looking, but boy, there's a ton of information on there. It's really, really useful. And these are just people who, who were, I don't want to call them uh, geeks, you know what I mean? But they were, they, you know what I mean? They were like tech people. They were, they were HTML savvy. And, and they, they knew how to write code and they, they understood web dynamics and web building and navigational structure and, and they, they got together and they said, look, if the, if the area wants a website, we have some skill and we'd be willing to apply that skill to creating this website. As I said, the, 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 the meeting finder, that search capability for people in, in my area like CPC, it, it's just it's a wonderful, wonderful tool. And of course, we had to go to Intergroup to say, Intergroup, will it be all right if we take your meeting list and put it on this website? We had to work cooperatively with them because the meeting list is not the property of general service. It's the property of Intergroup, which is sort of like a sister service entity in this same area, but I'll explain that in a moment. There's a mailing committee, and that's just what they do. They mail. If you ever get a flyer in the mail saying there's going to be a workshop someplace in the area office, the mailing committee has mailed it out. And it's just guys who, some of them maybe had postal experience, maybe they didn't, but they're guys who are willing, if you can imagine, to go down to the area office and take flyers and fold 
flyers all night long and stuff them in envelopes. You know, just keep stuffing envelopes. They get three, four, five people down there, and that's what they do. I mean, it is the most mindless, you know, it's, it's terrible work that they do. But they volunteer to do it because it needs to be done. These announcements need to get out, and they say, hey, I, I'll volunteer for the mailing committee. And they sit there, and they drink coffee, and they chat, and they have a great time, and they get the work done. And if that kind of thing appeals to you, they're always looking for help. Um, those are the standing committees and the special committees. Those all exist within Area 44, but Area 44 has to have a structure that those committees can sort of work within. That structure starts with the groups. The groups, are, I mean, this is in a kind of in a, in a, a, a pyramid with the groups, individual AA members and the groups at, at the top of the pyramid. I was talking to my service sponsor today and I was saying, John, aren't there some guys from Area 44 who have ascended to positions in the GSO office in New York? He said, no, there are none. He said, however, there are three who have descended to the General Service Office in New York. In other words, the group, his little reminder was the groups are at the top and GSO is at the bottom because GSO is only there to serve the needs of the groups. We make all the decisions. We vote. We decide. And the way we do that, the person who carries the group's voice down the line is the GSR, the General Service Representative. The General Service Representative attends a district meeting. The district meeting for District 18 is chaired by, and this is all going to get, this is where I can see the eyes are starting to glaze over, but just try to hang with me here for another couple of minutes. The GSR is, is your representative. He goes to the district meeting. Remember back, District 18, there's a DCM, a district committee member. He is in charge of the district meeting in District 18. He, he's simply there to facilitate all the GSRs from all the groups getting together and talking about the issues. If you don't have a GSR and he's not going to the district meeting, nobody knows what you guys think. The voice of this group is not being heard. And if that GSR isn't going to area assemblies and finding out what New York is, is planning and deciding and asking us to vote on, and he's not coming back and telling you about that, then you, you have absolutely no input on any decisions being made in Alcoholics Anonymous. Those decisions are being made without you. Um, that would kind of bother me if, if I thought that was going on in, in my home group. I, I want somebody, and, and if it has to be, it'll be me. I'll, I'll go and find out what's going on. I, I want us to have some input on this. Fourth edition of the big book, they're taking stories out. What stories have they taken out? Who's deciding they're taking them out? They're going to pick new stories? Who's picking the new stories? I want to know about this kind of stuff. I want to have some input on that. And you can if you've got a GSR. The DCMs then go to this area committee. The area committee is where all the DCMs meet to discuss what's going on in the area. You can imagine, it's uh, Chris last year said that uh, Mike P. described this as like, you have towns, states, and the states make up a country. The district is the town, the state is the area, and the areas collectively are the country. The DCMs kind of meet at the state level. Um, they all get together and say, this is what's going on in my district. Well, this is what's going on in my district. This is what my district thinks. This is what my district thinks. There are 41 of these guys. They get together with all the standing committee chairs and special committee chairs, and they basically vote on whatever issues are being brought up by New York or being brought up at the area level. 
Um, some of this stuff is voting on whether we should get a new copy machine or not. I mean, it's, it's deadly, boring, send you out of there screaming. Chris would never last a minute. <laughs> Chris would get an automatic weapon and, and uh, call an early adjournment. But uh, if we don't have a copy machine, we can't make copies. If we can't make copies, we can't conduct business. So we better figure out what are we doing about the goddamn copy machine. Um, there are much more important decisions being made, like every year our delegate. The delegate is the one person elected by the DCMs. In other words, the GSRs elect the DCM, the DCMs elect the delegate, and the delegate goes to the General Service Conference in New York. He is the one guy who represents all of northern New Jersey. The DCMs basically hear from the GSRs what the GSRs think about the General Service Conference agenda items. They're topics. They're, should we do another edition of the Big Book? If we're going to do it, should we do it now? Um, what's changing? Are we, are we going? I don't know if you know, the fourth edition had some reference in the foreword about online meetings versus face-to-face -face meetings. It got in print. It got in print and raised a ruckus in the fellowship. People started writing in from all over the place saying, who the hell put that in there about they're essentially the same except in format. They're not the same at all. Not only is the format different, they're, they're different in every way. That's going to be changed again now for the, for the next printing of, of the fourth edition. You'll see that change. So hang on to those first printings because it may not be in the, in, in the second or third printing. Um, but those decisions, we decide that. We decide whether that's going to get changed or not. By talking to our groups, carrying our voice to the district meeting, telling the DCM, and the DCM tells the delegate, and the delegate says, whew, Area 44 wants that change. When I go to the General Service Conference, I'm going to tell them to change it. You can read this stuff. I, I can't, can't get into too much more. We're about out of time. Intergroup is just another part of the service structure in Area 44. They're not connected to general service. General service is the name of something. It's not a, a it's not a, a, a it's, it is a proper name for this organization, the General Service Office in Area 44. Intergroup is another formal organization. Their responsibility is answering the phones during the day, putting the meeting book together, uh, admitting new groups into the area. Uh, if you start a meeting and you want to be in the meeting book, you generally have to go down and present yourselves to intergroup. Did you do that? You must have done something like that. Somebody did. You threatened them? Generally, someone has to go down and say, hi, I'm from the XYZ group, and we'd like to be included in the meeting book, and they kind of check you out, and they give you approval and, and put you in. But uh, each group should also have an intergroup delegate. It's someone who goes to the intergroup meeting each month and, uh, and checks out what the issues are at intergroup. There are things that come up like, there's this group down in Tom's River, and they won't let anybody come to the meeting who says they're an alcoholic and a drug addict. If you say drug addict, they throw you out, even if you say you're alcoholic. Can they stay in the meeting book? Well, they have to discuss this. They have to vote on this, and they do. They're rather less... Uh, controversial issues that they deal with, but that's basically what intergroup's about. The one neat thing that you could do with intergroup if you were interested, other than to have a delegate down there representing your group, is to get involved with Night Watch. 
Intergroup does answer the telephones Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. But after 5 o'clock or on weekends, what they do is they forward those phone calls, can forward those phone calls to your house. What you do is you get a number, and I forget whether it's 12. I think for a weekend it may be 12 people. If, again, I almost gave you this information, but I thought I had too much here already. But if you go onto the area website, you can find out about Nightwatch. And I think you need 12 group members to say, yes, we'll take Nightwatch for a week. And what it is is at 6 o'clock they forward the phone calls to whatever numbers you've given them. You give them a list of phone numbers. John's taking the calls Tuesday night from 6 to midnight, and Ann has taken them from midnight to 6 a.m. And you just give them those phone numbers, and they will automatically program that phone, and that phone will ring at your house. And you pick up the phone and answer it, hi, this is John and Alcoholics Anonymous, how can I help you? And you're going to talk to wet drums if that is of interest to you. Um, but night watches are, is a really cool thing, and there are groups that do this regularly. They'll do it at least once a quarter. They'll sign up to do this. Um, again, all the details of night watch are, are on the area website. Um, the last page of this is the 12 concepts, and if you read them, you'll just find out this is, this is really what, what kind of how we conduct our business. This is how we behave. This is kind of as the, as the 12 steps guide your personal recovery and the 12 traditions guide your contact, uh, conduct as a group. The 12 concepts uh, show us how we're supposed to behave as we go ahead and, and do this service work. Humility is the key word. Humility is the key word. None of this I'm doing for myself. All of this I'm doing for someone else. Um, I, I started to say years ago that when I got involved in service and I found out what the traditions were actually saying, I started to edit my story when I told it. I would tell you all about the drugs that I sold and all the drugs that I used, and I went on a great length about that because it was one of the more glamorous parts of my story. Until I got involved in service and I realized that um, that, that really wasn't, in my opinion, um, what I was supposed to be doing, that it wasn't good for... It, Perceptually, it was not good for people to believe that we were here to help people with drug problems. Um, so I edited that out. And what I used to say to people was, I've started to submit myself to the discipline that I see imposed, suggested by the, the 12 traditions. I do the same with the 12 concepts. Um, it, it really, it, at every step, tells me to just behave myself, listen to other people, let the, let the little guy have the last word. You know, I've seen it happen at area assemblies where everybody's voted one way. We're all going to, like, not do this. We've all voted we're not going to do that. And one guy in the back of the room who's in the minority opinion raises his hand and, and they say, all right, minority opinion actually gets to speak last. The one guy in the room who's voting yes, and the rest of us have all voted no, he gets to, to speak last. And he stands up and says something and, and introduces the thought that, the rest of us have not previously considered. And they'll say, has that changed anyone's vote? And you see all these hands go up, and the whole thing swings the other way because one quiet, sensible guy who presented a thought and an idea that no one else had previously considered lays it out, and we all go, he's right. He's right. And it's a beautiful thing to, to see it happen. Um, Keep an open mind about this stuff. 
I didn't expect anybody was going to run up here tonight and say, oh, please sign me up for this commitment or that commitment. But keep an open mind about it. Uh, there are a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of need. And um, I have to tell you that I have tried to get, extricate myself from this service work on, on two occasions in the last couple of years. And I've found that I, I just I can't do it. Um, I feel uh, like something's really missing from my, my life, something's missing from my program when I'm not doing some kind of service work. Uh, it's one of those things that you say, oh, I really don't want to do that, and then you do it and you say, why did I deprive myself of the opportunity to, to have something like this in my life all this time? I think that's it. Any questions? Sorry, this was this is a really dry topic. Um, there's no other way to put it out there. Um, but if you get a little free time, throw this uh, little handout in the bathroom, and you know, maybe give it a read bit by bit over the next couple of weeks. And I guess we have a. We'll go ahead, Ron. I just have a question. Um, I mean, you have this really um, large, good conscience to decide. But could you give us some guidance on? Um, I think actually they've talked about it a little bit in smaller committees, but uh, in terms of uh, donations, in terms of contributions, again, so like, back to GSO, is there, is there any suggestions you have in terms of like how we should be allocating money, or what might be a good way of us to use that money? Yeah, there's a you mentioned that there's some funding going on. There's a pamphlet um, called Self-Support. It's a green and white service pamphlet and it and it gives you pie charts which suggest different formulas for donating to GSO in New York, General Service Area 44, which I'm part of, Intergroup, which is also here in Area 44. Um, you could also, for that matter, donate to World Service, but I, I don't know anybody who does. It's really basically those three entities, GSO, Area 44, and Intergroup. Uh, you could also donate to the district, but quite frankly, I'd say the district at the moment doesn't need the money and wouldn't know what to do with it if they got it. A little bit of money is, is helpful because we have rent to pay for the district meeting, but um, it's basically those three entities. A lot of groups do a third, a third, and a third. It, it's where I perceive greater need in, in Area 44. I know intergroup's pretty solvent. Area 44 could always use the money. Uh, GSO could always use the money. Um, you know, they, they have an awful lot to do. Uh, they have a lot of staff, salaried employees in New York. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The second thing I was going to ask in terms of these committees, are the committees formed of DSR, or if we have somebody in our group Any? wants to do just uh, be a part of the committee? It's a good question. When I, when I took my first GSR position, when I first got started in this, after about a year, I became introduced to the Treatment Facilities Committee. My home group, Myersville, had Honesty House coming to it two nights a week. And I was booking for uh, Pleasant Valley, where I was doing a lot of treatment facility speaking. I was kind of comfortable with that environment and those people. Uh, and so I, I um, got interested in the Treatment Facilities Committee. And I went to an area um, convention where the Treatment Facilities Committee was doing a workshop. I went in and listened to the workshop and I said, you know what, I think I'd like to get involved in this committee, but I'm a GSR, can I do both? And they said, sure you can do both, as long as you have the time, yeah, you can do both. So I got involved 
for one year. There was an overlap. I'd been GSR for a year, and I was going to be a GSR for two. And the treatment commitment in District 18 was two years. So I had a one-year overlap where I did both. Then I just did treatment for one additional year, at which point the guy who was chairing that committee, who became my service sponsor, because they told me I needed one and I admired this guy, he asked me to step up and, and chair the treatment committee for the area. And, and so I did that. But I, I, I did both for a time. Somebody wants to, okay, so uh, that's one else, but somebody wants to be a part of the committee, they, could they just, don't have to be a GS. They don't have to do anything other than to show up and indicate their interest. Now, people will say there are qualifications. You know, oh, you should be sober for two years, you should have done this, you should have done that, and, and the, the truth you is, yeah, you should. We, we don't want you to be at, at area committee meetings or, or at our uh, standing committee meetings when you really need to be working on your sobriety. I mean, if your sobriety is, is um, shaky at best, you should be working on, on your recovery. But if, if you're comfortable, if you've, if you've done your step work, if you have some familiarity with the traditions, and you're interested in, in doing something more for the fellowship, if you're, if you're at a point where you're ready to give back, which is what I thought this whole you know, recovery to or surrender to, to service was about, when you, when you reach that point where you say, you know what, I feel pretty good. I'm going to be okay. I've done my step work, and, and I'm, I'm okay, and I'm, and I'm ready to, to help somebody else. And I can do that at, at my group level by helping newcomers. I've got people I can take through the work, but I could also get involved in some of these committees and, and maybe have, have an impact that way as well. So all you have to do is step up and indicate an interest. There's no... There's no screening process. What ultimately we would do, if you showed up at the CPC committee and said, I'm from District 18 and I want to work on this committee, we'd say, great, we'd love to have you. Now we want you to go back and see Terry, your DCM, and let him know that you're going to represent his district on our committee. And not only are you going to have to come to our committee meetings, but occasionally you should go to your district meeting and report into your GSRs as to what you're doing in their district so they can tell their groups. Like, gee, did you know Rob sent letters out to all the churches in District 18? Two of them asked him to come in and speak because they had people in their parishes who had drinking problems. One of them offered meeting space because there were no AA meetings there. And one of them asked for a catalog so they could order some films that they could show to a youth group in their church. I mean, you might be interested in knowing that. You might not be. But that's that. when I was doing district work, that's exactly what, what happened to me. I sent a letter out and got those kind of responses just to the clergy. There are a lot of other audiences for me to talk to in terms of the professionals in this district. I've had to sort of forego my district responsibilities because I, I ended up as chairman of the committee, so I'm, I'm not active at the district level now. But anybody can, can get involved. I mean, we're just, we're just looking for interested people at this point. It's fun stuff, too. Bill, you've been on committees, haven't you? Convention? Did you have fun this year? Yeah. There was a guy... There was a guy... At the, when, I, when I went into the convention Friday night and I signed up, um, I, you know, I signed in at, you know, as, as an AA member and bottled a bond, paid my, my 18 bucks. And um, and as this guy handed me my name tag, I think he said, my name's Mike, welcome. But he, I mean, he made it a real point to say, hi there, my name's Mike, welcome. And I said, thanks, Mike, my name's Rob, and it's a pleasure to be here. And it was just like, 
Boy, I love this AA stuff. And these AA people, you know, it's just really good. But anyway, I, I hope some of you will give some thought to this at the appropriate time. Uh, again, anybody can reach me through Chris or through Ron or, or through Bill. Uh, I'm around, and I could steer you to, I mean, any number of opportunities and explain more of these opportunities in greater depth uh, if you're interested. Thanks. Thank you.